Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, brought to you today by Planet Protector Packaging. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. Hi, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Grant. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. It's a little bit of a brisk morning down here in Melbourne, but, uh, you know. I know. We have to cover the weather. <laughs> oh, always start with the weather. Isn't that the de jour for um, podcasts these days? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Always a weather, for- uh, a weather forecast and a weather discussion. That's the one. Well, we have a great topic and a couple of interesting guests here. So uh, could you do the intros? We do. Uh, today we are, again... <laughs> talking about uh, all the plant-based proteins, plant-based meat. But today we're coming at it from a whole different angle and discussion point. We're looking at investment and looking at venture capitalists and how people are investing in this burgeoning sector. We're joined by Phil Mall. He's a partner at Main Sequence Ventures. He invests in deep tech founders uh, who are looking at building new companies and tackling some of the greatest challenges of our time, which is one of the great calls in terms of uh, all the alternative protein space. Before this, he founded Australia's first Silicon Valley style incubator called Pollinizer. And uh, while he was there, he played a really instrumental role in developing that startup ecosystem right across uh, the Asia-Pacific region, as well as advising some of the world's biggest companies in that space. Welcome, Phil. And we've also joined by the CEO of the Wunderkind of plant-based meat in Australia, V2 Food. We're joined by Nick Hazel. <laughs> I, our, listeners can't, our, our listeners can't see that face, but... <laughs> It was it was almost a, you know, what are you doing, Kim? Uh, now, Nick is an experienced food innovator and he's the founder and CEO of V2 Food. Uh, the company officially launched in October 2019 and has just gone from strength to strength ever since. It's uh, developed a plant-based meat. It's got a very close collaboration with the CSIRO, looking to develop tasty and sustainable healthy foods. He has an interesting background in that he worked in aerospace and chocolate manufacturing. I know which one I would have preferred. And, uh, and then moved into research and development within the food industry and has worked at multinationals, including Mars and PepsiCo. So, welcome, Nick. Nice to be here. Yeah. Yes. No, it's uh, a call between chocolate and aerospace. I, I, I think... Uh, there's, a, there's actually a really interesting story. One of my bosses was at an international school in The Hague and the kids were saying, who's got the coolest dad? And one was an astronaut and uh, he was the guy who made chocolate. And guess who had the coolest dad? It was the guy who made chocolate. <laughs> of course. I've, I've just realised you're, you're Willy Wonka, Nick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Your careers come together. It has. Look at that from the Willy Wonka from working in chocolate to now being the Willy Wonka of plant-based proteins. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> you made it. I have to say though that uh that he um it, uh, who would you model yourself off? Are you the gene um 
Was it Gene Wilder? No. Is that right? Yeah. Or, yeah, or Johnny Wilder. Depp? Yeah. <laughs> or, or the slightly scary one. Yeah. <laughs> or, I don't know. Better ask my team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, that, that went in a whole direction that uh, I don't think any of us were anticipating. <laughs> okay. Where shall we begin? Phil, let's start with you. Talk to me about main sequence ventures and venture capitalists and, and how that whole space works. Main Sequence Ventures is the CSIRO's venture capital fund, and it was founded about four years ago to play a part in solving a very particular problem. And the problem is this, that Australia, in fact, produces some of the world's best research. We're in the 1%, the top percentile, basically, of the whole world in terms of the research that we produce. But we are awful at commercializing it. We rank something like 75th in the OECD uh, chart of commercialization capability. It's a very big number. And I may not have got that precisely right, but (laughs) suffice it to say we're a long way down the list. Yeah, (laughs) Um, From going from the 1% in terms of research to to the 75th in terms of commercialization, even if it's the the 20th, it's still not great. That's right. And and so when, when, and and this absolutely goes for food, what, what happens when we look at the research system innovations and ideas are kind of trapped and siloed in the different research organizations quite often. Um, And when they do make their way out, they're quite often licensed to an overseas firm. And so we're losing a lot of our commercial firepower that we're actually originating here in Australia. And so the fund was was created actually out of a federal government uh, initiative to be good at that, to, to take things out of the labs and turn them as effectively and rapidly as possible into new companies, which will grow to become the most valuable companies in the world. The time that we're living, living in right now is a very exciting time to be a venture capitalist because we have some big problems to solve. And the problem of making food for 10 billion people is is one of those massive problems. And it, it synchronizes with the maturity of food production and the science behind food production. We're in an incredible time for how, how food is made. Uh, we're in an incredible time of science in that we can make food in entirely different ways from entirely different sources. And these things come together to create opportunity, and opportunity is the stuff that venture capitalists love. When we started the fund, uh, one of the companies that I spoke about a lot as an excellent example of what's possible when science and venture capital come together was Impossible Foods. And Impossible Foods, for those of you that don't know, that is the the biggest uh, plant-based meat company in the world, a Silicon Valley-based company. And that company raised more than half a billion dollars before the first customer got to taste their their alternate meat. And so it's something that's just not possible to do with research grants in the traditional way that that research comes to life. It needs capital firepower behind it. And then once you've done that, then lots of value can be built. You know, and, and, you know, when we look at the food industry and we look at this challenge of trying to make twice as much food so that we can feed 10 billion people in the next couple of decades, 
that is a huge problem to solve because we've run out of planet to do it. And Nick will talk a lot about that. But, you know, the, we, we need science to solve that problem. We need whole new companies which are going to fuel fuel food production over the next couple of decades. We need them to rise. We need them to exist. And when they exist, they're going to be very valuable companies. And, you know, to give you an idea here, um, the meat sector, which we need to double in the next couple of decades, that's a trillion dollar industry. And so there's another trillion dollars up for grabs. And so we've got this, we've got this double value proposition as venture capitalists in that we've got a, an incredible amount of impact that we can deliver it by making more food in a sustainable way for the people of the planet. Uh, but there's a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of money to capture here in Australia, which brings us back to you know the whole purpose of our fund and why it was founded. Mm. And so can you tell me, because I know that I think when a lot of us think about uh, venture capitalists and uh, we think the tech industry and then so this notion of now it spilling out into other other areas I mean I know that it obviously has and always has but is this like I hear quite often that at the moment particularly in the US there is so much money in that space in that venture capital space that they kind of can't find enough places to throw it and that there's the these creation of these special purpose acquisition companies these SPACs and that they're now in the space as well is the, are they like something that's playing out in this in the food in this area or is it is are some of those sort of things really just within say you know the tech sector as opposed to food tech or even just food production well i think I think food technology is still tech. And I think the way venture looks at companies like V2 Food and some of our other food portfolio companies is they're really looking for the technology. They're looking for what is the sort of scalable core of this, which can grow to become a massive sort of creation, creator of value. The venture capitalists would struggle to invest in a company that, that just manufactures food, you know, takes ingredients and then, you know, makes something for a supermarket or something like that. Yeah, you know, these are these are perfectly great companies that can grow to be big companies, but venture is uniquely looking for something which has got a little bit more risk at the beginning because it venture knows how to handle risk and knows how to build a company around a a company which is unproven and uncertain. Uh, in in the early days but you know then it knows what to do to actually make it very big and if it's a technology company you know that's what we need so when we look at v2 food we actually see a whole platform for creating alternatives to meat from other sources and we see all the different components of the technology stack that nick will do a great job describing shortly but Without that, there isn't a scale, you know, it's not a scalable company. And as you know, there are many, many companies doing alternate proteins today. I think there is 50 something different SKUs on the shelf next to V2 Foods products in Australia. 200 um, doubled in the last 200, really. Well, there you go. Yep. So it it's um, some of those have technology at their core and they can grow to be very big global companies. Some of them are are dependent on other pe- other people's ingredients and perhaps have less advantage because they don't have the technology at the core. Nick, <laughs> V two Foods. So, where were you before, and then what 
happened for you to then step into the space of the creation of V2 Foods and 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 its ultimate sort of, you know, uh, evolution to this point? Were you were you operating? I mean, you were working in, in R and D, so was it sort of just a natural next step? Um, it was in a way. Um, I was actually consulting. My previous job in multinationals was R and D director for PepsiCo um, in Australia. And um, actually, um, I was made redundant from that role. It's, it's interesting, actually, we talk about uh, Australia's ability to uh, scale, um, to do R&D. Um, there, there isn't actually very many R&D centers in big multinationals left in Australia. Uh, we've been watching them all disappear over the last 10 years, going back either to the mother country or going, going to Singapore. Um, and um, so interestingly, that's what actually happened. And I was consulting. Um, I, I jumped straight into consulting and I was doing consulting for CSIRO. I did some work for the meat industry in Australia and I started teaching innovation at UTS. So I was, I was actually in my sort of third career and actually teaching around startups, even though I'd never done a startup, uh, but, but and also talking about entrepreneurialism. So how do you get innovation out of big companies? Because I did, I did know a, bit of, a little bit about that. Um, and I was actually approached by Phil um, and uh, Martin Cole, who was head of food and ag for CSIRO at the time. And they, they proposed that there was an opportunity here. And this was at the back end of 2018. And um, I did a bit of due diligence, um, n- not as good as I probably should have done. Um, but anyway, I got excited about, uh, about the category. I got excited about the sustainability angle because that's been a passion throughout my career anyway. And probably because I didn't have anything better to do, this was the thing that I was going to knew that I would be devoting the next um, years of my life towards. So that was the story. And um, so I'm an I'm an, a reluctant entrepreneur in a way. Um, my my career has been avoiding CEO jobs most of my career and staying very much in the R and D. But this is an opportunity which I couldn't leave. Uh, it's too important. Um, the the mission, if you like, of of what we could do is kind of something you just can't leave. You you have to give this everything that you've got. And that was that was my attitude after after a bit of due diligence and after talking to um to Phil. Mm, okay, so. When you see the Australian market performing the way it has in the last 12 months, even um, despite a, a pandemic, and this, that, that now there are, you know, there are, as we just were saying, there's 200 products on the shelves, 42% of them are from Australian companies. Uh, within Australia, manufacturing revenue is up from 35 million to 70. Tell me about, and there's now 20, there's actually now 22 companies in Australia's plant-based meat industry. Um, tell me about that space. What are you seeing? I, just, I guess it's such a new industry. What does that look like for someone within it? I think Nick and I are finding this fascinating because we find ourselves in the midst of Australia's problem, I think. As, as I think everybody that lives in Australia knows, we're famous at making commodity products, pulling things out of the ground, pulling things out of the soil, selling them to other people to make lots of money from them. And with V2 Food, for example, we've, we've had the vision from the first day that we will not be buying products which have been value added by overseas companies. We are going to do a farm to fork strategy which gives us advantage in our technology platform which gives us unbelievable sustainability uh, outputs but most importantly creates 
valuable new industrial opportunities for Australian agriculture and food production, something much, much more than selling commodities to other people. And, you know, Nick mentioned that he didn't research it very well. The bit he forgot, the, the bit that he didn't research very well, and, and in fact, neither did any of us, is to understand what is the protein extraction capability of Australia. So once we've made yeah. a soybean, <laughs> how do we do the next bit? Well, it turns out all that's done in America or China or some somewhere like that. And it's 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 expensive to build what is required in terms of infrastructure to get that done. And so think about that where we are now as a country we're facing an opportunity, right? This is our moment. We know we know we have to make twice as much food. We know just in meat alone, there's a trillion dollar opportunity. We know with science, it's not an incremental extra amount of food that we can make from Australia. We can literally add multiples of food. We can, we can make a lot, lot more food. So we can be a player in the world, but somehow we need to sort of face into this opportunity and courageously invest in putting this infrastructure in place, and that's something that V2 and the venture world is trying to do uh, to save Australia from itself. <laughs> You're listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast by Yaffa Media. We'll be right back after this. Finally, there's an alternative to polystyrene that won't cost the earth. Planet Protector Packaging has developed a range of eco-friendly, sustainable solutions that are commercially viable and cost-effective for your business. Our industry-specific wool pack range has been independently tested and proven to outperform alternative cold chain packaging. Here's the kicker. Our solution can significantly reduce your overall packaging and transportation footprint, and it doesn't cost the planet. To find out more, head to planetprotectorpackaging.com. And now, let's get back to the discussion on the Food and Drink Business Podcast. This is one of the things that I think we're hearing a lot of is that Australia has the capability of doing this and being a major player and a particular and a premium player, but it's actually, um, how do you do it? Like, it's almost like we needed all this equipment and we needed this infrastructure and we needed these supply systems yesterday or 10 years ago. And that now there seems to be this incredible period of catch up and that if, and that if we don't race in that time frame this is actually going to become a missed opportunity. Is that fair or is that a little bit melodramatic on my part? No, I think, I think, that, is, I think that is fair. Um, you know, we're, as all startups, we kind of bootstrap the company. We're getting going and we're flying the aeroplane now, but we're building it at the same time. Um, but we are committed to doing it. Ultimately, the problem to be solved is an agricultural problem. There's not enough land on the planet to grow the, the meat that we eat. Um, so we really do need to use... Um, all of the science and the technology we have around the, the whole supply chain from the farm through to um, making this plant-based um, protein to solve the problem that we've that, that's ahead of us. So you're right, Phil was right. I didn't do the due diligence, but it doesn't matter. The problem is still the problem to be solved and we're facing into it. Um, it becomes easier when you look at this as a global problem. One of Australia's problems in a way is it looks at it we sort of say well, we're a big country you know there's 25 million of us so that's a great market opportunity 
of course, that's the wrong way of looking at it. The market opportunity is the world. It's a trillion dollar opportunity of which um, less than 1% will be consumed in Australia, ultimately. It's, we're not a big country in that sense. But when your perspective is the global opportunity, then these really quite huge investments that are needed become a little bit more palatable because you can see that they make sense. But clearly, you would never be making those those investments if you only looked at the Australian market. And and to be honest, that's probably why those investments have never been made historically. Companies looked at Australia, said, well, what's the opportunity? 25 million people are not worth doing that. Let's import it from somewhere else. Yeah, it's interesting. I know uh, recently Blue Horizon has put out a big report with Boston Consulting Group and, and they've likened it to dominoes, you know, that, that these sort of dominoes have to fall one after the other. And if that happens, then then this is where this this is where we start to really solve these bigger issues around, you know, feeding a global population and 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 creating really um, scaled up valuable businesses. Um, you know, I mean, they're talking about some of their figures that they put forward was that, you know, if you reach this point where um, the final domino is actually, for them, they were putting forward that it was in the form of regulation. But we could be looking at animal and alternative protein, uh, alternative proteins being, you know, taking up 22% of the market by, of the meat market by 2035. Like that's, you know, that's not that long away. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's exactly what needs to happen. That is what needs to happen if we solve the 10 billion problem. It, it, that sort of timing, um, I was very good to, I, I was very happy to read that report. It's what we've been saying internally for, for two years. Um, and it's good to see that um, somebody's looking forward to what the, the future scenario is with a little bit of vision as opposed to just joining the dots on, on what was the growth in the past and then joining the dots and saying, okay, well, if it grew by 15% last year, it'll grow 15% next year. This is an exponential industry. And for us to achieve something meaningful against the, the mission, which is to actually solve this global problem, anything less than that is not good enough. So good to read the, the Boston Consultant Group uh, coming up with the sorts of numbers that we've been talking about for a couple of years. So then tell me about that in terms of the Australian space. Like how many, how many more V2 foods can we have? I mean, is it is it a finite number or is it not? Is it an infinite sort of opportunity? Or because I guess I guess it comes back to what you were saying about how you know investors or, or businesses look to Australia and go, oh, it's a pretty small market. So it, what's what's needed here? Is it more government invested investment or is it? Uh, I mean, I know it's probably it's a host of things, but what? Tell me how it happens. What needs to happen? You're right. It is a constellation of things which we need to bring together all at the same time to make this thing work. Now, the good news is a lot of uh, our, our time in history has already started that that process. There is a whole new understanding and recognition of climate change, which is now starting to move into people's buying behavior, starting to move into how supermarkets decide what they're going to stock on the shelves, starting to move into how investors prioritize what they're going to invest in. And so all those things are, you know, creating the conditions for this change to happen. Science, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, is now ready to solve this problem and to go at it. And that science is uniquely capable of making whole new products, regardless of where the company is that's making those products. You know, we can make them here, we can ship them to other parts of the world. So I think 
we often say inside this community of new food production companies that we're not worried about competition because this <laughs> the ceiling is just so far away. The problem we have is on reaching the capacity that we need to reach. Do you think something, I mean, is the federal government's modern manufacturing strategy and they just released this week the food and beverage roadmap, um, which I'm still getting my own head around, but are these things going to be integral to these things happening? Yeah, I think it's one of those things in the constellation and um, the timing is very, very good. And I guess the narrative that Nick and I find ourselves in a lot is one around making sure we're we're fueling sort of multi-decadal new industries with this modern manufacturing sort of policy. So as opposed to, you know, putting a cork in a part of the industry which is always going to be difficult to scale and to do sustainably, how can we actually make sure that this strategy leads to companies which are going to be sustainable and grow in Australia for decades to come? But, you know, it's a very exciting program, the modern manufacturing program, and I think a a lot of venture-funded companies are going to benefit from it. Nick, talk to me a bit more about V2 Food. What phase are you at? I mean, the sort of local market seems is going incredibly well. You're across, I think, all of the major supermarket chains. Um, you're also working with quick service restaurants. So talk to me about where the company's at and what its next steps are and what you see as the next big opportunities for it. I, I do kind of laugh when you sort of introduce us as, as, as almost as if we've made it. We have so much more ahead of us than, than is in the past. Um, <laughs> the wonderkind. <laughs> yes, but I think I think we have to acknowledge how remarkable and um, fantastic it is that how well you guys have done from, you know, starting in October 2019 and in terms of the profile and its market presence, you know, it's it's worth some acknowledgement, Nick. <laughs> Seriously, there, there is so much. I mean, the, uh, again, when you look at the, the opportunity ahead of us, so f- for us, the number one thing is to have amazing products. So there's a there's work streams in R and D which are taking us to the next level. That's that's really important. Um, people aren't going to buy um, these products unless they taste absolutely fantastic. That they're affordable and they're available in wherever it is that you buy your protein. Job number one. So we've got a, a job to do to become a real number one in Australia. We want to be number one in Australia because Australia is famous for the best protein in the world. We export um, animal meat all through the world and we see ourselves very much part as, uh, of the Australian um, agri- agricultural setup and the Australian meat industry. So so that's, that's job number one. The whole protein agricultural space is really important for us. It's, it cements our position in sustainability. It underpins our Australianness, which is very much part of our brand. Um, it reduces our cost so that we can be affordable for, for all consumers, not just um, the wealthiest of vegans. We want to be affordable for everybody. So that's job number two, and we're doing that. And then in parallel, job number three is that we're doing this to be a major global player. Uh, and our focus is currently Asia, to be number one in Australia so that we can make a meaningful difference to those places where meat consumption is growing dramatically and the populations are enormous. Again, if you look at the global mission, if we weren't doing that now, we're not 
serious about our mission and we are deadly serious about our mission. So we are already exporting in um, seven different countries. We're selling our V2 whoppers in Burger Kings throughout Asia and winning contracts. Um, uh, you know, this is not a, this is a very competitive space, but we're selling throughout Asia and we're setting up distribution contracts with players all through Asia. We've set up a, we're setting up a company in China. So um, we now have an entity in China and we are in deep discussions around exporting into China. Um, of course, you would understand if it's China, it's it's going to be as much about pork as it is about beef. And from our perspective, all of that is available to us and we can pivot our technology base that we've developed with the CSIRO to address all of those opportunities. So that those are sort of the three things um, on my table at the moment. And the other thing is is growing our business, you know, from a startup to a serious manufacturing business. I'm starting up two factories as we speak. So they're all in, in full startup mode um, to give us the volume that we need to make the products for these enormous markets that we're that we're trying to serve. So that's kind of what's on the table at the moment. It's, it's pretty exciting, I must admit. But the, the thing for me that's most important is, is again, when you have the mission in mind, then um, it's obvious what's what needs to be done. And that kind of dictates uh, where our priorities are. Talk to me about uh, when you're looking into those export markets and particularly into Asia, because I guess, and this is probably my own personal bias, but when you're when you're starting to look at these products in Australia and that they're still sort of so new to many of us, that there is a lot, there's still a, a lot of hesitation from a lot of people about trying these products. Culturally, is it different when you go into Asian countries? Are they more, more willing to try new things or more adventurous? Or am I selling Australian consumers short? So looking at export, I mean, the, the first thing to be aware of is, is, is let's not think we know <laughs> what's going on in an export market. So, so for China, we, we knew that um, pork is important and we knew that the flavor profile for pork in China is different from Australia. That's just something that you know. Um, but in terms of what products are going to succeed in China, it's not something that we can figure out in Australia. So all of that ideation and that work to our people in China and get them to help us do that. One advantage of, of our whole business model is that what we really are trying to do is just to supply the protein. If that ends up in a dumpling with a particular recipe, which is the right recipe for that dumpling, it doesn't really matter. We don't have to know what that recipe is as long as the people who are making the dumpling know that. Then that's the same, actually, um, when you think about meat in general. You know, um, you will cook your mince and you'll turn it into a creation um, and then that will be your creation using a raw material, which is pretty much standard everywhere. And as long as it's a really good standard, then actually what we produce is exportable um, everywhere. The caveats are that um, it still has to be aspirational. Meat is aspirational in, in every country. Even Australia, it's aspirational. It's the most expensive thing in your grocery basket. So we need to stay aspirational, but equally we want to be available in the channels that the, these export markets have. And they're very different channels than Coles and Woolies in Australia. So be aware that we have to work with their systems and their channels. Um, and we need to be affordable. So that's an interesting problem in its own right. How do you be both aspirational and affordable at the same time when your marketing 101 will tell you, if you want to be aspirational, increase the price. 
So that's part of what we're, what our marketing mix is all about. And, and the Australianness of our brand um, is also linked to being aspirational. Um, and further down the track, I think when we can get a good language to talk to consumers about sustainability um, and nutrition, but, but nutrition we're already doing, but sustainability in particular, um, then I think that we will be aspirational for a lot of consumers who are increasingly thinking about sustainability when they make purchase decisions. Um, that is kind of future because we have to acknowledge that today's consumer, there's not that many are making purchasing decisions on sustainability, but you've got to bet that that's going to increase over the next years. You know what it's like? It's like, it's like being a movie producer, not like being a banker. Right. If you, if you think about what a movie producer does, they're kind of looking for something that people are going to love, like lots and lots of people are going to love it. And then you're finding all the resources to actually help make that thing happen and give it the best chance of success. And one of those things is capital, of course. Uh, but then there's other things. There's sort of talent, there's connections, there's resources. Um, and that's, you know, that's how, you know, collectively we've been able to bring v2 to life as an example in a way that um you know the competitors have taken many more years to get to the same place wow well i think that's probably a great place for us to uh, draw a line under the discussion today uh, just so so interesting and i say this pretty much at the end of every episode that i love nothing more than talking to people with with vision and fire in their belly and um, Phil and Nick, you have that in spades. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been fantastic. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks, Phil and Nick. Thanks, Kim. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for this episode that's been brought to you by Planet Protector Packaging. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.